I'm excited to tell you about Gay Lisby's Million Dollar Arbitrage Edge and List Group. That's a lot to say, but there's a lot in it. And guess what? It's closing. It's closing this week. It'll close for Q4. It will not open up until next year. She started a third group, and so there's only 50 in it, so you don't have to worry about dealing with hundreds of other people buying the same thing. So you're going to get daily actionable items delivered to you five days a week. You're going to get the mentorship of being in the Million Dollar Arbitrage Group, and you're going to be able to ask questions, ask for help, get whatever you need. But again, get those opportunities. Join me in this group because I'm in this group, and you'll see me in there. The only way you're going to get to join this week is if you click on the link that's in this episode and also in Gay's interview uh, number 238 was episode 238, and she explains a lot of what it is in there. It's the only chance you're going to have to get in there. Second, I want to mention Scope from Seller Labs. I was just with Jeff. They are just killing it with this product. It is just knocking it dead because you get to see the keywords that are important for your listing. Why go try to figure it out? You already know an item is selling, so you go and find their keywords and you put them in your listing. It's a smart move. You already got a proof of concept and Scope does that for you. So it's sellerlabs.com slash scope. You're going to use the code word momentum and you're going to save 50 bucks. It's an awesome, awesome deal. I was just with Karen Locker also, and we we spent some great time talking about you know what's going on in her business, and it's just incredible. Solutions for e-commerce, great group. You're going to save 50 bucks if you come through my listing, right? Remember, these people pay me, so I don't want to mislead anybody. They pay me, but you're going to save $50, and she's still doing that inventory health analysis. This is the perfect time to get yourself right. Storage expensive. Remember, it's triple triple uh, storage fees. So get your inventory right. Get it correct. I just had her create uh, 68 variations of a listing. If you heard my interview with her at 245, you heard that. Um, 68 variations. They went live today. Products went in today um, as a day I'm recording this. And man, I'm so excited. I just, I'm so excited because I've got another order of them coming in next week. And so I already have the listings up. They look beautiful. It's everything that I needed. And it's just such going above and beyond. That's why I love solutions for e-commerce. Um, you go solutionsforecommerce.com slash momentum, and you're going to get that benefit. You're going to save, the, you're going to get the lowest price, save 50 bucks, and you get the inventory health report. GoDaddy.com, you want to try, try GoDaddy.com slash momentum, and you're going to save 30% on all your GoDaddy needs. I use them for all my um, domains that I buy. I have for a long time. Now I get to save 30% just like you. Try GoDaddy.com slash Momentum. And last but not least is Grasshopper. I saw somebody just bought it this past week, and I, I can't wait to hear how it goes for them because it allows you to be the professional that you want to come across as, right? You want to have really strong features, especially as you're building customer service. I think that'd be a great program for anybody who's selling on Walmart. You need a customer service program. You can use Google Voice. It's free. But it's definitely not as professional, and you're not going to be able to have the flexibility. Imagine one phone, your personal phone, and that app on there allows you to have all those lines set up. You can have it forwarded to other. You can you can do custom vanity numbers. You know, eight 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 six three, you know, whatever you want. Great program. Trygrasshopper.com/slash/momentum. Trygrasshopper.com/slash/momentum. Save fifty bucks there too. All right, let's get into the podcast. 
Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 247, Nick and Anitra jump. Yes. There are three of us on this call, and it's so awesome when you get to talk to a couple because um, I think they feed off of each other, and you know they're you know they're definitely a little more polite. I mean, because you know, I mean, he's has to sleep next to her, and she has to look him in the eye, so they have to be. But what I love is when they're real, and this couple was so real. I forgot to mention in the in the talk how humble Nick is. Um, you know, I met him a couple years ago, and he was unbelievably successful. But you know, it just downplays it, and how real they both are. And I think that that genuineness that uh, he used the word authenticity, um, and I would describe them that way. Again, what his advice from her at the end, I think, is the most potent part of this interview. Um, I think it's really powerful. You're going to have to listen to the end. Yeah, that's a that's a trick to get you to listen to the end, but it, it's real because I think it's I think he's right on. I think he's spot on. Let's get into the podcast. All right. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very excited about today's guests, plural. I love when a couple comes on because there's a chance for communication and they get to communicate as a couple because I always believe husband and wife, now you're a one, is another person in essence and they get to communicate with us. And I think that that's just so powerful um, because to one plus one does not equal two, it equals three or four or five. Nick and Anitra jump. Welcome guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Do you agree with that, that one plus one? Nick, let me ask you first. How much better are you with Anitra? Oh, it, it, there's no comparison. Uh, anytime I introduce her to a customer, uh, it's it's tenfold. <laughs> and and think about that, right? I mean, where would you be without her? And you know, I know we're putting you on the spot, and you're going to say the right thing, but it's it's real, right? It is real. Absolutely. I just talking to a friend of mine earlier today who's divorced a long time ago, and he was telling me about Thanksgiving plans, and his daughter wants to invite his ex-wife, and she's remarried or whatever, and. I said, well, you know, uh, there's another friend of mine who gets along with his ex-wife, and she's married to a great guy. He says, and he goes, I didn't like her then. I don't like her now. And I'm like, huh, do you have somebody else in your life? He goes, no. And I'm like, man, you're missing out. I, my opinion. Um, you agree? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Anitra, what would you say to that question? Definitely. I mean, I wouldn't... I would have never dreamed of being in an entrepreneurial kind of job. You know, my, my mom and dad were very blue collar people. And so really it's because of Nick that I even do this. Well, what would you have done? Probably worked in a factory. Really? I mean, not that that's a negative, but that's the culture where you grew up, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, we raised tobacco when I was younger my dad was a truck driver and my mom worked for Levi Strauss. So it was a very 80 hour a week, um, paycheck kind of family. Um, and uh, you don't have to answer, but living paycheck to paycheck kind of, um, not so much with them because they both worked, but, okay. um, it was, you know, it was difficult, especially when my dad was laid off, but you know, they, they provided well, but you had to work a lot and you had to abuse your body and be away from your family to be able to make 
enough money. You know, I don't know how prevalent that is that they lay off like they used to, other than the trades, like the building trades and things like that. But I remember as a kid growing up too, uh, my parent worked in a factory and it was very similar. The layoffs would happen. Um, I don't hear much of that other than the builders. And I guess it's because all the factories that I know of, I can't think of one. I mean, can you? No, not really. It, it does seem to have really decreased over the years. Hmm. Sure, the, the manufacturing just isn't what it used to be here. It, is it at all? Is there any companies that you can think of that are still producing goods by you? Uh, sure. I mean, my, my dad, uh, my parents were both uh, blue collar as well. And it's, it's one of the main motivators I took into starting to be an entrepreneur because I saw his destiny and his future manipulated by other people. Uh, were you going to be going to college though? I mean, was that what his plan was for you? Nick, I need you to go to college because you don't want this life. You know, he, he he's always, my parents were very hands off as far as those kind of decisions. Okay. I think they just trusted me to do what's right. And I, and I did go to college, but uh, that was an interesting awakening too. But what I was saying, I, you know, dad's factory is still open. Oh, it is. But it went, at one point, yeah, he was a steel worker. He made uh, backhoe buckets for Esco Corp and, and places like that. And Toyota is here in, uh, just north of us in Georgetown where they make the Camrys. Yeah. Okay. And it's a, a large employer here in Kentucky. Yeah, in Kentucky, uh, I think, has very, very good tax laws, from what I understand, because I remember it was a company getting ready to move there, and they seem to be business-friendly. Is that is that your experience? I think they have to be. They need the jobs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, I do remember from Dan and Eric's time, um, the uh, wholesale formula guys, telling me that the labor costs in Kentucky are much lower. They can be, depending on where you live. They're down toward Corbin and Williamsburg, Kentucky, which is south and heading into coal mine country down there. So the the cost of labor is a little less down there as opposed to here in Lexington where we live that is a more of a metropolitan area. I love Lexington. What a great downtown. I remember going to a conference there. What a great downtown. Yeah. It's a very nice place to live. Okay, so so a couple meets. Now, did you guys meet uh, while you were in school, or what's the story there? Well, we actually met in fourth grade. Oh, uh, no way. Nick, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Nick awesome. We're both in a gifted and talented class, so we met in the fourth grade, but we never dated or, or anything like that. Well, you can't um, leave me there. Hold on a second. I get okay. the gifted part. All right. What's the talent? Uh, fooling everyone into thinking that I was in the gifted program and should have been. Uh, so you were an actor. So you were time. destined for acting. Okay. Let me tell you, it's it had very I've helpful never, in sales. I've never heard that phrase, gifted and talented. I've heard of gifted, mm -hmm. but I've never heard of talented. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know why they called it that. Huh. Well, it's probably pretty clever because, you know, I mean, would a, you know, a Van Gogh be gifted? You know, probably not intellectually, but, you know, as an artist, right? Yeah. Sure. Hmm. Okay. So fourth grade, there's a spark. Is there a notice? I mean, if the fact that you remember any, do you remember that, uh, Nick, that, that you were with her in fourth grade? Do you actually remember that? Absolutely. You uh, do? The, the, I do. The, the gifted program was once a week. So it was a special event you always looked forward to. And we got to spend the day with each other. And there was about 10 kids throughout the, the little school system in our grade. And it was uh, it was fun times. It was a close group because it was such a small group. 
Hmm. And even though there was no romantic feelings, there were certainly, you know, great friendships. Yeah, kinship, right? I mean, do you guys have a common trait, talent, I guess we'll call it that, yeah. right? I mean, it's serious. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. And then to get away from each other. Now, let me ask you this. Because you only get to see each other once a week, where were you more connected? In that one day a week or the other four days with the other group? Uh, if, at least for me back in elementary school, that's been a while. Um, it was with that tight-knit group because there hmm. were only 10 people and you were much more singled out. Hmm. How about you, Anitra? Yeah, that would be the same way. It, it was a place where you you were put there on purpose so you felt like you belonged instead of you know being put in a random class with kids that seemed a little more you know by chance where in the gifted program they really did pick you to be there right right you had uh, you were had something some spark that they saw okay so uh, we go through middle school is there a separation or do we stay in contact we stayed in contact because we lived in we have county schools um, in Kentucky, and so all of the kids from around the county went to the same middle school and high school. Oh. We didn't have a lot of different schools, um, which is different. What we're learning is different from a lot of other school systems. Oh, yeah. We have just because we were small. We have 20, 20 schools in our county alone, 20 separate, all completely separate and completely, uh, it's pretty expensive. All right. How about you, Nick? What was it that, when was it that you saw something? Where was that spark? What, what year was it? You know, it was, it was after my first marriage and, uh, you know, we, we both went our separate ways, went to college, uh, got married to different people. And, uh, when I came back from college, I got a job at a, a textbook publisher, Thompson Learning at the time. It's now Cengage. And Anitra was working there and it was just no way. serendipity. Yeah. Yeah. No way. And you had no clue. I, I had no idea that she was working there. I was thrilled to see a familiar face because everyone else was, you know, and it, and it wasn't the happiest day of my life going to a cubicle to answer the phone. It was like, oh boy, but here's a familiar face. It was wonderful. Wait, did that help you get the, uh, to, to, did you see her on the way in when you were interviewing? Not, not during the interview, but it, when I was first walking to my desk, I walked right past her and saw her and like, this is great. You recognized her immediately? Absolutely. No kidding. How about you, Anitra? Yeah. It, I mean, he, he laughs about it now, but honestly, the first time I saw him again after all those years apart, I I knew we were supposed to get married, which scared Which still scares me. <laughs> That's funny uh, that you just knew it. The, the second... Yeah. So... <laughs> And I don't want to be a marriage counselor. I'm just trying to understand how you knew. No, you know what I mean? Because, you know, you hear about serendipity and you hear about um, um, the one, right? The one. Is he the one or is she the one, right? right. And obviously your first marriages, that wasn't the case. No. <laughs> but boy, looking back at it, do you think it's possible you guys could have gotten together prior and be the first marriage to each other? You know, that, that would be a wonderful romantic thought, but I wasn't mature enough for that. Okay. I needed a little uh, kick in the pants before I uh, wised up. Yeah, yeah, you get to appreciate what you don't have, right? I mean, that's really what Man. it takes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. That's enough uh, Dr. Phil moment here. Um, so we start this job at a book publisher, which is very interesting because these are mega booksellers, so I, sh I should qualify that. Um, and so 
you were in the office. What does that mean? Well, I was, I, we were both at the uh, customer service, literally answering phone calls from, uh, I think it was the high school division, where they had, uh, if they had trouble with their orders or they wanted to place an order or if they wanted uh, special attention for, uh, you know, different textbooks and different titles. Okay, so they bought them through this company and then you guys would handle. How many people were in the cubicles with you? Oh, gee, I don't know. There were 20-something just in the K-12 through division, I think. I would say there's probably a good 150 people on that one floor uh, in different cubicles. And just, like I said, coincidentally, our cubicles were, what, two or three from each other? Mm. And we were in the same line. The I mean, same it was group. great. Oh, yeah. my God, this is definitely meant to be. There's no way. Yeah. Um, so thinking about that, right, so how big that company was, and maybe they still are, do they still have that level? You, you mentioned they're now a new company. Uh, Cengage Publishing, yeah. Okay. Still, Learning, yeah. Still in the same town, in some, the same area? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. Okay. How big are they relative to what they were? They're still pretty huge. I, I mean, there's plenty of theories why they renamed and, and broke off from the original group, but they're one of the top six textbook publishers in America. Okay. I mean, they're right up there with Pearson and McGraw-Hill, uh, you know. What did you like about working there? <laughs> uh, her. That's Other than her. Yeah. Other, <laughs> that would have been the right answer. You should have been, I you should know. have went right on it like instantly, like on each of course, right? I mean. Of course, right. I'll edit that in. <laughs> there, I appreciate that. Thanks for <laughs> um, what did I like about Thompson Learning? It was a safe place to figure out how much I appreciate freedom. Um, hmm. You know, I, I certainly stared at the cubicle and thought, well, this, you know, I'll do this for a couple months, which turned into a couple more months, which turned into, I quit that job right at my two year anniversary of, of working there because I don't, I really didn't want to do a third. Hmm. How about you, Anitra? It wasn't, it wasn't torture, but it was, it was painfully boring. Yeah. Well, did it give you context of what's the potential? If you chose that career or chose any corporate career. It, it certainly introduced me to office politics in a way that I had never been exposed to and never even understood. Uh, I know that there were a couple of occasions where I noticed some problems in the uh, in, in some of the brochures they sent out to customers. And I told my direct supervisor who said, oh, you know, that's that's somebody else's problem. Don't worry about it. Ooh. And so I decided to email the CEO of the company. Ruh and, uh, yeah, I know. I had no idea this was a bad oh, thing. Oh, dude, man. Oh, yeah. But apparently the CEO loved the idea, put me on a special board with uh, one of his board members, and I got to sit separate from the group uh, you know, a couple hours a week and work on these issues and such. And to them, I showed initiative. To my direct group, it was Traitor. back in line. Well, yeah, it was really bad. And I had no idea that would be received like that. You know, I think about some of the companies where that stuff is encouraged, right? Where there are no boundaries like that, where it's like, hey, we all make mistakes. Thank God you caught this, Nick, right? Let's reward you. And then together we all get better, right? Yeah. Those, you know, I see stories about some of those companies, but and they seem to be the ones that are succeeding. And then you have that territorial, you know, fiefdom kind of thing. And you see most of those companies kind of closing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why when when they became a new company, it was really 
a name change and then the larger group kind of broke off from this group. You know, Thompson Corporation is a is a large corporation that still has a lot of things going on, just not their textbook division anymore. Hmm. You know, and I think a lot of that was because the culture around it. The culture, yeah. Yeah, the environment. You know, I wonder about um, like Zappos, you know, it's owned by Amazon now. You wonder, has I have not heard that their culture has changed. Have you? I haven't, no, and I, yeah. I love that's what a great what a great example that is. Yeah, and and it seems I guess that's the lesson there that this can be maintained, um, but that takes real leadership at the at the even higher than Zappos level, right? That it really does. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so you decide um, to that this isn't your future, Anitra. You're staying on there, or are you deciding your future is going to change too? Um, I stayed there. I actually moved from customer service to inside sales. Uh, which is where I learned that I hate sales hmm. and then I moved, <laughs> I moved back to customer service. Um, what didn't you like about sales? You got such a great outgoing personality. That's interesting. I don't like asking people to give me money, okay. uh, <laughs> but it just, it was a completely different psychology than I had grown up around. So yeah. there weren't any clear cut rules. Um, nobody could say, do this, and this is the result that you will produce. So be, being a, a, a female, I liked the knowing that I'm going to get this paycheck every week, no matter what. And it wasn't that way with sales. So it's something to do with the blue collar growing up too? I mean, asking for, because textbooks aren't cheap and they're ordering, you know, hundreds of them, right? So you're talking big bills and that was uncomfortable for you. Yeah, especially because I worked in the K through 12 division. And so you're dealing with um, schools, um, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and you knew that they didn't have the money. You wow. know, they didn't have the money in their budgets, yet I'm still asking them to buy new books for their students. So that was difficult for me because I saw how much the books cost and it, it just felt so uncomfortable and unauthentic. Did you feel the value was there? I mean, did you did you get did you feel you were giving them the value cuz this like you said it's precious resources. They don't have the money. Was the value that $100 text I don't know what a school high school textbook costs. I have no clue. Um, but it's probably pretty expensive. Yeah. Do you feel I mean, it? I mean, there's value in it absolutely, but there's only so much value. Right. You know? The, right. the schools could have, if, if books are falling apart, the schools could have bought the books used, but that wasn't an option for K through 12 schools. They have to put in purchase orders. They have to order class sets. You know, the school wouldn't just go and buy five copies from Amazon. You know, they had, there were all these rules and regulations and it was just a lot. And, and you dealt a lot with contract states that could only spend their money certain ways. Yeah. And so with Amazon being a newer venture back in, what was this, 05, 06? Yeah. Uh, they just, they weren't allowed to allocate money to buying them from certain ways. Hmm. Is and that I, still I the think, case? Yeah, it, it really is, especially, um, I know Texas is a huge adoption state where they will every, I think, five to seven years, it's time to buy uh, science textbooks. Or, and then the next year it's math, but they can only buy from the publishers. Hmm. It sounds a little 
collusiony to me, but that's just my opinion. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels icky because what you describe makes perfect sense. Hey, five textbooks are ruined because they broke. Okay. Therefore, buy five replacements, not 400, right? And you just replace those five, pitch the other ones, and life is good, right? And extend them for as long until it's not relevant. It's not like, uh, you know, thinking about some of those class philosophy, right? It doesn't change. I mean, there might be some new stuff, but when you're studying or history, right, the history stays the same up until they add new things. Um, that kind of makes sense. And that was not allowed. That, that fascinates me. I never thought about that. That I just assumed they would buy a couple replacements and move on. Yeah, there's there's line item there's line items in budgets. And so in the state budget they might allocate X amount of dollars to textbooks. And if you don't spend that money, then it just goes away. And if you don't spend it, then they will take it away from you the next year. So you're almost forced to spend that money, whether you want to or not, on things that you don't maybe necessarily don't want or need. Wow. Well, it's it's a it's a very dirty monopoly if you ask me well yeah it definitely sounds like you have a a different uh outlook on it nick um so you left there what were you going to do what was your plan well i uh i answered an ad in a in the classifieds when i left ad to buy books for a college bookstore chain a small college bookstore chain. so so wait so you left without a job or you left just as no, you I, I i got a i got a job and I gave three weeks' notice, of okay. which they uh, accepted less than a week and said, go ahead <laughs> Goodbye. and leave now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, then I went to work for a textbook company buying books from different sources like professors or uh, bookstores and things like that. And uh, that's how I really got into the acquiring textbook game. Okay, and so there's like the old Follett, uh, and you would, have, and there was a couple other companies, and you would box them up, right, and then send them to them. Sure. And um, they would then pay you a percentage or whatever, right? Right. Okay. All right. And that still goes on today, right? That business model is still out there. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, uh, you know, professors get books for free generally. At least they used to get a lot more. I'm assuming there's a little tightened down. And so they would sell them and they would use it as their little slush fund for themselves, right? Sometimes. Sometimes it would be departments. Sometimes it would be, uh, you know, libraries or bookstores or whatnot, uh, all kinds of different sources. Okay. All right. And then they, they go to these major companies, they sand them or they do whatever they need to do. Um, and then they put them out used in, uh, school university as used textbooks, correct? Right. They, they provide some form of price control or, or, uh, you know, price competition for the major publishers. Yeah, you're right. If there wasn't, they would just charge whatever they want, right? Which, which they still do anyway, but uh, it would be even worse, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I have a son in college, and um, it's costing me almost nothing. Now, my older son cost me a fortune. My younger son's like, eh, I'm renting a textbook this semester, Dad. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Keep it up. You know, keep going, right. champ. And he's all of a sudden, these options, um, very few get bought from the school. Very few. They're buying them everywhere else, or his friends are swapping them. They really have like a little system because they I, – I mean – it's different than when you and I went to school. It's com- now they all know and they socially talk to each other, right? But through these, you know, apps and stuff. So they have a way of communicating. It's like a like a barter system almost. Sure, but the one one hole in that is uh, 
Well, there, there's two major holes in that that really keep the bookstores in business. And, and one would be freshmen, especially freshmen without older siblings right. that are going to college for the first time that don't know how to play the game yet. And another one for, uh, for a lot of public schools, uh, if you're heavy in financial aid, then a lot of schools will filter that money through the school system and hold on to it for weeks, sometimes more than a month. And you can only access that money uh, through the university. For example... Uh, they might offer you a credit at their bookstore only. Nice. So, hey, I have to get my books. School started a month ago. My financial aid, it still isn't to me because the school hasn't released it. So you have a unlimited charge card up to the amount of your financial aid with the, stu- with the school bookstore only. So you get to pay sometimes 8, 10, 20 times the price you should be paying. I mean, I've seen, I've seen too much. I've seen textbooks that were, you know, unit cost to produce five dollars and then sold wholesale for let's say fifty dollars and then they charge a student 200 plus cheapers you know it's it's and then like you said it's financed and so now it's financed over 30 years right right Right? i mean that's the scariest part right there what you said that i'm like oh god i i didn't realize they were doing that but again it allows them to control and make sure that their bookstore is profitable right right yes I would hope that nobody's doing that, but boy, it sure sounds like it. Just as easy as what you just said. Yeah. Everywhere. Oh boy. Okay, so um, you go work for one of those companies, and is it a small institution, uh, or did you say it was owned by a university? No, they they had. Uh, it's a smaller. I, I mean, I don't know. He had about six different uh, locations at different places. They were all off-campus bookstores. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. He's a smart businessman. Still in business? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Really? I would think that in today's... They've expanded. Really? Now, why is that? Well, they, they, had, uh, they have a lot of smart things going on. They, they know... I, I think they, they have the ability to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, they kept acquiring textbooks at a you know, buy low, sell high, and they would sell them more than just in their bookstore space. Uh, they knew location was everything and convenience were everything. I think they recognized their product early on and and kept to it. You wonder, has there been bookstores and universities closed? I mean, had, I mean, logically, I would assume they were. I remember my, my, my son went in school in Philly, and it was a Barnes & Noble that was in his school. Um, and I'm not sure if they're still open. Sure. Uh, my wife and, and Nature and I just worked a school system that uh, closed four locations, and we bought every book from their back room and it was great for us but not so good for the students and so what's the what's their plan tell them to go to amazon oh my gosh they have no plan i even offered uh you know i told them sometimes we put together a pdf of suggested uh places to buy your books everybody knows amazon but not everybody knows to go to some of the other sites that'll mm-hmm. shop around for you and so forth uh they they said they subsidized uh they subsidized those four four different stores and collectively they lost about a million dollars last year alone in the bookstore oh my gosh realm. and they just couldn't keep it open and a lot of it was uh, in my humble opinion uh playing games with not only the publishers but you know doing business the old way not the new way not focusing on the fact that uh we're in america and we have some of the best logistics on the world so you don't have to order you know 80 copies of one book to, to be prepared. You can order them a lot closer to the deadline and not have to carry this huge backstock. Hmm. You know, the old way of a bookstore running is, you know, order a certain percentage of the 
enrollment and a lot of times that percentage would be high and then you would be stuck with these books you couldn't return because a whole bunch of them are buying them third party or whatever as we already discussed right right absolutely Hmm. so have you seen bookstores doing it right other than the private one you're mentioning have you seen bookstores at universities doing it right you know honestly i think everybody's hurting okay but some people are still striving because they're they're adapting to the new model Wow. Know, there's, there's a bookstore owner we know of uh, that, that we're great friends with that uh, when I mentioned, hey, you know, do you currently sell online? I'd like to buy your back stock. I'd like to buy anything that you're not uh, currently selling to your students. He said, oh, yeah, we sell online. We sold uh, we did about five thousand dollars last year on eBay. <laughs> and I said, five thousand no, really, dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, geez. And uh, long story short, uh, you know, we worked with him a lot and, you know, we're, we're good friends at this point, And he does about a half million dollars a year on Amazon now. Himself. He, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. His his store on the side because that's what today's marketplace demands. And would he be in business if he wasn't doing that? Hard telling. Yeah, it's hard. It, it, it really is. Um, a lot of what you talk about, and I'm thinking back to our conversation in uh, Dayton, Ohio. So Nick and I have met twice, but the first time was in Dayton a couple of years ago. And if Greg Murphy says, Steve, you need to pay attention to this guy, I take that very serious because uh, Greg is Mr. Books. And he mentioned you and your plan. And I remember sitting there listening and I'm like, oh, what you talked about was a hundred percent relationship. I mean, it didn't sound like you were, you were out there, you know, I, I guess you were hustling. I don't mean it that way, but you, you had developed so many of these relationships. Is that your strategy? Absolutely. One thousand percent. You know, we've we've had up times and down times, but our relationships that we developed through the years have have carried us through. And, you know, we've kind of adapted our sales approach to reflect that. Think about the bookstores that you helped. You just described this other gentleman would probably not be in business. How many I mean, is that's one of the things that keeps you going um, because, you know, you're going to help a whole bunch of people. Oh, I love it. It's wonderful. I, you know, I wish I could do more for these uh, institution bookstores that just closed recently. Uh, we are going to take over. We're in talks to take over all their buybacks where they buy the books from students. Right. Um, you know, just to, to provide that service because they're small regional campuses, not tiny, but not, uh, you know, a thousand, two thousand students each. And we're going to be able to still buy the books from the students and provide them that service and, and help them out. Well, because now it is that point where you got to worry about, not you, but they need to worry about, not they're not losing money, right? So they weren't making money. So it's not like they could worry about that. They're not losing money anymore. However, there are implications. This is a ripple effect, right? This is going to affect students. What are they going to do with their books? And they need that money. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And these are not, uh, not to, to set a difference, but there's they're not private school kids. These are small regional campuses and working class towns that are in many cases lucky to be going to college. Hmm. It's we're so fortunate that it's available everywhere like never before. Well, let's talk about roles. Um, so you are on the road a lot, Nick. I, I'm on the road some. I'm not on the road nearly as much as I've been in the past. But uh, would you say maybe a month out of the year, as far as overnights? Yeah. And then uh, you know, as far as overnight, maybe a month out of the year, broken up into to several places, and then. Otherwise, uh, home every night if I do go out uh, scouting. Okay, and then you, you're back home. And what's your role, Anitra, in the business? Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
a lot of, you know, making sure that Nick can go out and do the job that he does, you know, because we have five children. And so (laughs) whoa, five children. That's a, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And, and we run the whole business, um, out of our house, you know, so it's making sure that he has the freedom to go and work on those relationships when he needs to. And also, you know, whenever an issue pops up, then, you know, I can help fix that. Well, I was thinking about you, you spoke at the bus proof, uh, Greg's uh, conference. And I thought to myself, Oh my goodness, this person really knows what she's talking about. You knew the new, you knew all the details behind the scenes. And I think Nick, you even referenced, you don't know how it works. Talk to Anitra, right? Uh, she knows. I wish I had a t-shirt that said that's an Anitra question. Yeah. (laughs) So many of them are, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I could sell the books, but not nearly as well as, as she can get it done. You're a hundred percent FBA. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. we're hundred percent FBA as far as what we do on Amazon. Okay. Okay. And, and so I want to close that out. The identifying, identifying the boundaries between work and family life, especially now that I hear you have five kids. I mean, that means you're, kids are in your everything you're doing right they're in your life no matter what because there's always somebody yelling mommy or daddy right sure how do you how do you identify the boundaries i I say this this is my my theory on myself our business is our life and our life is our business not in a negative way sometimes they you know one needs more than the other and it's so flexible we can move and, and bob no matter what but no negative connotations. It's like, oh, I got to go in. No, we don't even think about it that way. That's where we're at. But we don't have five kids at home. How about you guys? I would say it's the same way with us. I mean, our children are in our business. I, I mean, they, they know what goes on. They know what we do. They understand it. And they're growing up with a constant model of, this is how you're an entrepreneur. This is how you work for yourself. I mean, what do you think, dear? Yeah, I, I think that's about right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's cool because to to make that work for us, you know, it sounds pretty easy. It's just two of us, right? And, and, and you know, no, we have a son in college. No big deal. But with five kids, if you can make that work also, that's a very healthy – because now you're, you know, Anitra, you broke the blue-collar mold. Nick, right. you might have broken the college mold to say, you know, I mean, I, like, you know, you're not downplaying your role with what you learn in college, but you're also showing that you don't need it. Maybe, maybe. Oh, I, I would agree completely. Yeah. Uh, when I got, when, when I graduated with my degree in communications, I'll, I'll pause for laughter. But, uh, you know, I, I learned. How there was a lot of laughter. The whole crowd here was laughing. My whole I'm sure, team. I'm sure. Well, it, you know, my, my, I found my degree when I started looking at different jobs and did a couple internships and I found out that I would actually make more money answering the phones in a call center, it was very disheartening. And when I found out some of the things you have to go through to do something you enjoy like that and and still not pay the bills on time and, you know, going into different TV stations and talking to people and and realizing, you know, you're, you're on the anchor desk and you're making 30 grand a year. That's, that doesn't add up to what, to what I perceived. So, you know, uh, being an entrepreneur was the path. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling, but that's, yeah. that's no, no, that's, I get it. I mean, I think you're, you know, looking good on the anchor desk. I have a friend who is a weather guy. He's a good looking dude. Yeah. Pretty, he always say pretty face, right? He couldn't mess it up his face, but he made nothing. And he would say that, you know, made nothing, but he loved it just because he loved the attention, you know, go out to lunch with them and, you know, people are swooning over him, but he 
didn't make any money, you know? And so yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, what would you tell your kids? I mean, what, what's your guidance now? I mean, uh, you know, thinking about it, how many of the five, I don't know how old, how old they are, are set with a college career and a future, you know, doctor, lawyer, accountant, one of the standard engineer, things that you need a college degree for. And then the other ones might be business owners, uh, technical. I think technical is so underserved. The guy who can repair a bulldozer is in real demand right now. Huge demand. Absolutely. You know, what, what do you see with the five? Well, one thing we try to do over and over every chance we get, uh, you know, of course we get mundane and working sometimes, but anytime there's a good opportunity to show something to them, I, you know, we, we try to make an imprint on them. We try to say, Hey, you know, we paid this, we're asking this, we'll probably settle on that or, uh, you know, different things like that. Cause I want each of the kids to understand how business works mm. and understand the underlying details. And I, I'm trusting that they make their own decisions as, you know, beyond that. You know, I know we've got, uh, a 17 year old who is looking heavily at the trades, you know, because you can be in business for yourself and be an electrician or a plumber or something along those lines. And, and you need to know that skill set you just said, right? You yeah. need to know that, right? That's very important if you're going to be a tradesperson. Right. Because you can, you can make someone else's living and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you follow their plan and, and line their pockets, that, that's one path, but it's better to at least understand how the machine works so mm -hmm. you can play the game to your advantage. Well, it's also just as important, though, if they're going to be a doctor. Think about this, right? Or a lawyer, right? How many lawyers go out of business? They do. You don't think oh, about yeah. it, but they do because they're not, they don't understand the business. They went into it because they love the law. I'm going to change the world or I want to save people. So I'm going to be a doctor. However, the receptionist needs to get paid. The rent needs to get paid. That, that waiting room area costs money. Everything about it, you know, that business side of it, if it's not, uh, you know, successfully run, you're out of business. Or if you rely on somebody else completely to run your business, they're not going to care as much as you. And therefore, you're probably not going to be as successful and pay off your half a million dollar student loans. Sure. <laughs> okay. So that part of the business seems to be going well. How, how bad... Were you hurt by the change in FBA fees, if you care to say, and the rule about uh, one book for free, now no books for free for storage? Do you, do you want to answer that or do you want me to? Well, I, I hear I nobody crying, so that's good. Nobody's <laughs> crying, so that's a good sign. Well, the change in FBA with the, with the higher fees mm -hmm. didn't impact didn't impact us as much as it might have some other people because the average sale price for our books is much higher because we have a better quality book. You're not a penny bookseller. Right. We Our books, you know, the average selling price can go anywhere from 20 some dollars to, you know, 40, 50 bucks um, per book. And so the fees don't matter so much. Now, the one-off books where you don't get the one for free, that sucks, but <laughs> it's part of doing business. Uh, overall, it, it really positively impacted our business. I can tell you that this year, with other factors too, with, with sourcing and with different things going on, is going to be our best year in six years. Um, with those fees, I think it weeded out a lot of people who weren't necessarily as serious about the business, mm -hmm. or maybe you know they had the luxury of keeping 50 copies listed at once and now they're only keeping more like five 
but for whatever reason, we're willing to pay the fees and we're willing to, you know, every time we go through long-term storage fees, I, I hear people talking about how, you know, they don't want to pay anything and they have everything sent back and do this and that. And we pay long-term storage fees all the time because, you know, it, we're selling the books still. We're right. still. This is a product that will sell. I think that's the answer right there. You're more attentive Right. I mean, you know, I guess the, the good news about those extra fees and that other thing, it forces you to be better. Right. I mean, right. I assume that's one of those other things you were other factors you're talking about. You you had to step up your game. And some of those. Well, and some of the books that we service are so seasonal that uh, it would almost be, you know, for example, hmm. there would be outdated books that uh, just were not adopted a lot. But when they were adopted. You couldn't find them in the bookstores. They couldn't buy them from wholesalers, so the bookstores didn't even have them on their shelves. So they were all sourced on Amazon. So we've seen several long-tail books that were former penny books. You know, we, we might have listed them at 12 or $15 that have gone all the way up to 100 plus. And so, so and, is... And we had the stock there to provide that, whereas other people, you know, saw a low-value book and didn't see it coming and... And weren't able to service it. And and I think a lot of that's because of the fees. Sorry to keep going. No, no, no. I, I get it. I, I, I went somewhere else than when you went because I was thinking is that what you were saying was it makes sense for Amazon because these books are seasonal. It doesn't make sense for them to hold them for six months when they're not going to sell. However, right. seven, month seven, that's the magic month. That's when they want them in there because they could use that space to store my coffee cup that I'm looking at here, right? And then that way, it, you know, it doesn't incrementally cost them anymore. But now, just to leave a book there, sitting there all 12 months, it's probably an inefficient use of Amazon space, they're thinking. However, that's not where you went. You're saying that because you left it there for all 12 months and incurred those fees, you were able to take advantage of the market when it became a market again. Absolutely, because there, there are certainly plenty of titles that were pretty long-tail books that might sell gosh, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 copies overnight, but they won't sell them for a full year. And you can look at the Keepa charts and they're crazy. Well, how do you and know that though? That's a, it's a good question, right? So you're saying that a book comes back into favor. So that means a professor decides that, you know, we're doing the, uh, the 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet by, you know, the author Young or whatever, right? He wants that one. So he puts that out on his book list, and all of a sudden, everybody's looking for that. Yet it was a penny book. By Is that an example? Probably a poor example, but... Well, you know, a, a better example might be if you're looking at uh, this group of textbooks, let's say every freshman has to take freshman English. So the writing guide is always going to be revised very often, and it's always going to be in demand. Whereas a very specific high-level class, let's say it's a 300, 400, 500-level class, might be taught only once a semester. It might only be taught oh, in the fall. So okay. it's never sold in, you know, in January till September. Yeah, till September. And then in September, everybody buys them. Have the tools gotten better to help you understand that? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely better because I, <laughs> you want to talk about tools. I mean, I still remember when we you know, when someone shared the secret of Scout Pal with us <laughs> and they said, hey, man, you got to see what we're doing. And he flips open his phone and he shows me the data he's getting from Scout Pal. And it's like, Which, wow. I mean, we, now we with joke Keepa. about it now, but back then it was cutting edge. Yeah. I mean, that was one of those moments that I mean, I know Nick and I'll never forget, but it was it was the missing piece for us to be able to 
to move forward and do this because we had been looking and we couldn't find it. We knew it was out there. We just couldn't find it. And here this guy just shared it with us. Hmm. And it was pretty amazing. Relationships. Yeah. yeah. Right. Again, there's a relationship. But so other people have sewed into you. Is that why, Anitra, you and Greg are sewing into others? Because you and him are doing something, right? You guys have something going on? Yeah. Yeah. We have a beginner's program that we just put together. Um, and that really is where my heart is, is with the 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 new sellers because i remember how hard it was when we started out and it's discouraging isn't it it is it's very discouraging and especially coming from a blue collar family Hmm. um not understanding entrepreneurship and then kind of being thrust into it it's enough to make your head spin and it's very easy to get discouraged so i you know greg and i wanted to put something out that would be encouraging and also help people not make the same mistakes we did when we got started. Go ahead and make the pitch. What is it? Um, is it, how do you, how do you find it? If somebody's interested? So this um, is a, this is a entry level specific to books. However, just understand that books are just like toys are just like jeans are just like, you know, there are different little nuances and different rules and ranks and all that kind of jazz. However, you buy low, sell high, right? That's the math, right? There's the whole lesson and learning it in books is the safest place to do it. Until, uh, not textbooks, <laughs> regular books. <laughs> I want to qualify that and say not yeah. textbooks because there's a lot of counterfeit textbooks. But generally, it's it's the safest place to do it, right? Yeah, because your your return on investment is so high. Um, you, but it's, I just tried to simplify it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the the website is busproof business, mm-hmm. and then you just look under products, and it's called foundations. Okay, and I'll, I'll put a link to it on this episode um, because I, I just think it's so great. Um, there, you know, I'm sure it's inexpensive knowing you guys, but it's just valuable to take the lesson. This is the safest way. If you, I just saw somebody else, hey, I really need to get into this FBA. This is probably one of the best ways. And you'll hear from just about everybody, Chris Green, all those, they say the same thing. Start in books. It's very, very cheap. It's generally they're easy to find because they're everywhere, right? And you got to look at a lot of them to find a jewel. But once you understand why something is a jewel, you have learned to fish. You now have a skill set that is transferable if you want to go on to toys or, you know, clothing or food or whatever else is out there to sell. But I think it's yeah, a great one. Tell everybody, start at your house. Start with your bookshelves. Start with your kids' bookshelves. Just start with what you have and then start with what your family has and then work out from there. Okay. All right. I'm going to have that link. Now, you mentioned, Nick, that you have another method of selling. And I don't know how deep you're willing to go into it. But there is life outside of Amazon and your $5,000 friend in eBay, right? There, is, there are other ways um, uh, to operate this business, correct? Sure, of course. Uh, as far as outside of Amazon, the majority of what we do, see, I, I guess the model we tried to emulate after we went through the ups and downs and uh, tried a lot of different things, I will buy a group of books, for example, and I will wholesale enough to at least cover the cost of that group of books. Who do you wholesale them to? Uh, to? To one of several textbook wholesalers like uh, MBS, that's Missouri Book Services, or sometimes eFollette, or uh, there's Nebraska Book Services. Those are the biggest three ones. There are several others you could, I, I would say those are the big three players, but there are a lot of people who publish lists and who 
are willing to pay you know a competitive price for a textbook. So and so walk me through that a second. So stop there because I, I think it, it sounds a little bit too good to be true. How do you find a volume enough where you can get rid of enough at a wholesale level to do that? And don't give away your secret sauce. <laughs> well, you smile a lot. Sometimes okay. you send candy to the nursing department. Uh, you listen to a lot of people and find out what they really need. And eventually you become the only one they deal with. So sometimes it's, you know, a professor turns into a department. Because sometimes. it's it's consistency and reliability, right? I mean, there's always a flash in the pan. But if you come back every year and do what you say you're going to do, like really do it. Right. That's like a big win for them, right? A absolutely. And, and also I, I do my best to become a, a genuine friend when, I, when it's uh, applicable. If I have a VIP customer, they're treated VIP. You know, if they want to, I've had customers before. Yeah, it's it's funny. I had a customer that was dean of students at his particular college, and Anitra came with me. And you know, I said, "Hey, do you want to come in and meet this guy?" And she's like, "No, no, I'll just wait in the car," because it's only one customer. And I said, "Well, you don't understand. This is not a five-minute customer. I was in there for about an hour, mm -hmm. just listening to him talk. You know, the work took five minutes, and the work was, uh, you know, buying." I think I got probably $3,000 worth of product out of his. You know, I paid him $3,000. I wholesaled it for this much. I sold the rest online and so forth. He was a great customer, but he always wanted to chew my ear off every time. Hmm. And I let him do that, and we're still friends today. So it's Even a deeper relationship. It's not just a business relationship. It's a deeper relationship. With, with everybody I can. I, I really I try to connect well with people, and uh, the best connector in that for it. The best connector that's been a good example to me would, would be Anitra. You know, there are times when I'll take her to a bookstore account and she'll say, well, what do you want me to do while I'm here? And I'll say, well, you're the friend. I'm going to get to work and you can buddy up with them and, and talk to them and find out what's going on in their lives and develop that relationship more. You know, I used to think I was good at relationship sales until I brought her a few times. Now, yeah, and she says she's no good at sales. Anitra, what's the deal? I'm good at making friends. I just suck at getting money. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So as long as he, as long as he makes the offer for the books, that that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then we're fine. But you, you know, we we really play well off of each other. What he's strong in, you know, I'm weak in, and, and vice versa. But over the the years we've been married, I think each of us has gotten a lot stronger in our weak areas because of each other. So. It just keeps getting better. Well, let me ask you this, Nick. So this model where these four stores have closed and you might get an opportunity to go and do the buyback for the uh, students, right? Right. Is that an opportunity? I mean, is this immediately what you do is you say, okay, I have an outlet for 50, 60% of these books with my developed wholesale relationships um, over time. And so it makes it a lot more I – because mean, you could end up with 100 books, right, All of, of the same book. You, you could. Uh, most of the buybacks that I'm doing right now or that I've cycled through recently in, in recent years, I don't generally end up with that kind of large quantity. Okay. But most wholesalers, like the, the three we mentioned, they'll at least take 20, 25 copies of each book. It, it, for a popular book, it's not hard to find it at home. Okay. okay. And I don't, generally, uh, I don't generally have to wholesale you know, 50 or 60% of it. Normally, if you buy it right in the first place, uh, 
you know, I might wholesale 25% of the books and 75% of them go online. It's just 100% paid for before it gets there. That's awesome. Dude. I like keeping it clean. No, it's very smart. I mean, it makes it, it, you don't have a cash flow problem, right? I mean, because you bought them, you spent the money, you got your return back, right? right. Your, your investment back, let me call it that, not a return. And then therefore, even if you don't see a return for a while, so long tail to you is a lot different than long term to somebody who's got to dip into their pocket to get that money. Sure. And I wonder, I mean, I can't do, this is where we need Greg to do this math, but because, you know, you, you spend $1,000, you immediately got your $1,000 back and you're going to make $2,000, that return is different than spending $1,000 and eventually getting $3,000, right? I mean, there's a definite difference because you got it immediate. So it's like, I mean, again, I can't do that math, but that is a different business model and therefore less risky, would you say? Well, see, one thing I guess I didn't mention, these wholesalers will often, uh, well, everybody publishes a list of some sort. Mm-hmm. So when I'm evaluating the book for purchase initially, I know whether I can sell that book or not. Oh, so you've got... Or make a cash offer. So you've got eyes. You already yeah. know what the value, the, what the market is. And how long is that market hold? I mean, if they say the book is, you know, $12, that's what they're willing to pay. How long is that list good for? Uh, in the ballpark of a month. Okay. Okay. So like you say, and so is your goal to pay that amount or less than that so you can make a VIG or a difference between there? It really depends on a lot of different factors. It, it really depends on what the customer in front of me values the most. You know, some customers, and, and that's, it gets, it, again, that's one of the reasons why I excel at relationship sales is because I try to evaluate what do you need? What do you want? What are you trying to tell me between the lines? Uh, I'll never be the most competitive price on these books. I don't think that's wise for my business model. But, you know, some people need a very accurate inventory. I've gone in and, well, in these four stores that just closed, I went in and did a detailed inventory for them so they knew exactly what I was taking. They knew how many new copies, how many used copies, how many alternative copies there were, uh, how much I paid for each one. And I did this detailed spreadsheet uh, quote for them. And that's what they needed more than they, and they also need the convenience. So I would box everything up. I would come to them. I would give them kind of red carpet service and they ate it up and they didn't mind that I was paying less. How long did that take you there? How many days were you there? Uh, each store was about, if I had gotten to do it perfectly, it would have been one day, but I usually space it out uh, two days for, with each store. So it's a, it's an investment though. I mean, it's just a lot of your time. Sure. Sure. I probably spent in the neighborhood. What do you think we spent about 10 15 grand with each, with, with the all, probably about uh, between 10 and 15,000 with all four stores. And then I went ahead and got that return instantly. And by instantly, I mean within a couple of weeks because mm-hmm. I still have to uh, spend the time to look at the book again, evaluate, hey, this book in front of me, am I going to sell it online or am I going to go ahead and wholesale it? I have to go through them with a fine tooth comb. And then I probably got, I, I, I don't know how much I have to sell online from that pool yet, but I know that I've already listed over $35,000 worth online that I essentially got for free. Hmm. Because you got your fifteen grand back immediately. Right. So uh, when you are evaluating now, the tools have changed, right? Um, you're not only evaluating. So you, right now you're looking at, it sounds like four different marketplaces, right? Uh, the three that you mentioned plus Amazon to see which is the most lucrative to you. Sure. Yeah. Okay. 
I don't know if I'm digging into something secret there. I don't want to get into it too bad. But it's just no, it's not that. It's just sometimes it's four marketplaces, sometimes it's more. It just depends on okay a lot of little nuances. Yeah, he's definitely code in there, everyone. You all heard it. He's just not telling us all, which I get, and I respect that, dude. I really respect that. Well, because you don't want to you don't want to just hand everybody because they can't. They, what's easy for you is not easy for someone else because you make it look easy. It's not easy. Right. There's lots of little things that you just know, oh, do it this way. Well, there are 50 decisions behind that that you've learned the hard way to get to that place. And if you don't know how to do that, it's not easy. And so um, now I respect it. Okay, so obviously when it comes to deciding where a book goes, I don't do it because it takes me 10 times as long to do it. So (laughs) he he does that because he's good at it. Is he like a wizard? I mean, he's like holds it up next to his head. Okay. Mm, Amazon. Mm, Follett. Mm. Yeah. That's exactly how I do it. I just hold it to my head. Karnak. You're Karnak. Yes. Yes. And so, uh, in the old days, I haven't done it in a million years, the Follett ones, you had to box them up, right? You had to create a list, upload it, and then box them up and send them something. Similar model today? Uh, it is. That's not how I do it. I, I have uh, friends who own bookstores that I'll just I'll walk into the bookstore and say, hey, let's let's sell these off. Oh, yeah. here's the pro tip. All right, let's pause for a second. Oh, now, we just saw behind the curtain, everyone. He just but let you us certainly al- can mail them in. Okay. But you just let us in on a little secret there, that there are small bookstores. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this. At Greg's uh, meetup, there was a gentleman who owned six of those stores, right? You know who I'm talking about? I forget his name. A great guy. Really great guy. And so there's an example of somebody who would buy books um, from you, not you, but whoever, because he doesn't have to go scout them, right? So there's some value. He would be willing to pay a premium, maybe albeit a small one, but it's still valuable. And like you said, you immediately get, in that scenario, you're walking in, the, in there, you might get a check right there on the spot, correct? Well, and, and one more thing that I, I won't evaluate too much on, but I might just get a lot of cash. Okay. Yeah, I understand that. I I understand that. Okay, and so um, (laughs) we're gonna stay on this side of the uh, the the fence. Um, You then that opens up all other avenues. But again, we're back to the relationship. How hard is it? You know, you seem like a natural at it. How hard is it though for someone like Anitra, who self-proclaimed non uh, uh, salesperson? How hard is it for somebody like that? Can they develop those relationships? Do you think? Do you want my answer or hers? Um, I know what her answer is going to be, but yours. Um, it would be absolutely impossibly easy for her to develop those relationships with more confidence. But mm. I've, uh, you know, at, at one point in my career, I would knock on 40 to 100 doors in a day, and the majority of those doors would be no. And occasionally I would get yelled at or cursed at or called names or or whatnot. I I took a lot of beating in the sales world knocking on doors. I've developed some pretty thick skin. And so you have to be willing to to take those hits to get to uh, a good relationship because not everybody wants your service. Not everybody likes it. Not everybody agrees with it. But with more confidence and more willing to to take the hits, oh my gosh, people respond to her like magic. Right, right. I wish they responded to me like they do with her. Yeah, I, I've seen her speak. She's not a wallflower. I, she, I think that's an act. Um, she's definitely got it. <laughs> All right, so the, uh, let me ask you this because immediately my mind went there when you were talking. How much of your business, and this is again, you know, if this is too personal, don't don't answer it, is on Amazon now? 
well, most of the prophets there. Uh, I mean, all the prophets there. Yeah, all, all the prophets there. Because the wholesale, I mean, I guess right. You're making a very small margin on wholesale, right? You're gonna you're gonna have to because they have to make money, right? That that's the math. Yeah, but there's also seasonality of the books, and and there's also. I don't know. I, I mean, I buy it right in the first place, and I mm -hmm. try to give, I try to match it with the best customer for me. And so there are plenty of customers who, their chief concern is not what you're handing over for the books. Their chief concern is, are you going to steal from me? Are you going to give me inaccurate records? Are you going to harass my people? Are you going to be so slick that I can't stand to look at you? I, I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be left alone in the stacks of books, in the stacks of, you know let's say there's a, a $2 million bookstore, they can walk away knowing that nothing's going to be hidden in my bag when I leave, hmm. you know, and, and that's a trust is a big issue in this market. Does um, that make sense? Yeah. And oh, it makes perfect sense, but you didn't answer my question. I'm trying to, I'm trying to nail you down a little bit. What I, I get the profits. I get that, but I'm mm -hmm. asking about sales. I mean, because here's what I'm thinking is somebody's going to say, Steve, you didn't ask this question. How much of his business is he doing on Amazon? So you buy 100 books. I know you said maybe 25% might end up in wholesale, but that's not really clear because then now we find out that there's other avenues than wholesale too, the secret behind the curtain things. So, you know, is, you know, could you give us a percentage? Because I want it, I mean, I guess here's why. All right, this is, this is where Steve goes. I think that there's life outside of an Amazon or an eBay or a, Joe's bookstore, right? There is other ways if you're willing to put in the work. And I, I think you're an example of somebody who's done it. So that's why I'm kind of want to put you a, put a little spotlight on you there. Sure. Uh, you know, being able to get a, a good return on my money immediately has given me the luxury of, okay, let me answer your question first. Your, uh, the answer to that would be probably around 75, 80% of my product ends up directly on Amazon. For you. For me, okay, yes. yep, okay. But let me also say that I have the luxury of pricing a lot of things for the season, so I do very well in December, January. I don't have to worry about doing as well in March and April, even though I, I will still have sales in March and April. You know, I know that you know when kids go back to school, that's when I'm going to make the most of my money. So I'll price things up in the in the list, sometimes looking at Keepa things like that. Hmm. And, and you sense. do that? No, it makes perfect sense. And you do that yourself, not Anitra? Well, both. I, okay. I do the majority of it, but there are certainly times when she saves me and says, hey, I'm going to take care of this and, and list them as well. Would you advise, I mean, I know Anitra is going to say yes, um, because hence they're offering a course. Would you advise people to get into the book business today knowing what you know? Absolutely. I love it. And you've loved it for a long time. I have, yeah. Hmm. Dude and dudette, you guys are killing it. I love the fact that you you almost could finish each other's sentences. That's a long marriage. But it's it's very interesting how well you complement each other. And I think that that, you know, I could see you're trying to draw more out of her, Nick. And right. you feel that, right, Anitra, that he's trying to draw more out of you? Yeah, he'd send me out in the field. If, if, in a second. If he'd <laughs> he push right out there. At the door, you could do it. Yeah. Well, you... you uh, one thing about the book business, uh, you know, I mentioned Greg Murphy. He's the giant bulk book buyer, and he's one of you – know, he's a small giant bulk book, bulk book buyer, he would tell you, right? Um, buying Gaylords of books and going through and doing the penny book business. And then I think of like a Caleb Roth who's very similar model to yours. But then I think of others that have um, – um, they have uh, – 
buyers out there buying. I mean, there's one thing about the book business, there are a lot of different models. I mean, just an enormous amount of models, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, Nick said it once and it's always stuck with me that you can do a lot wrong in this business and still make a lot of money because the, the, the return on investment is so large. But yeah, you can you can slice this business 10, 15, 20 different ways and still be, you know, it can still be very lucrative for you. Well, you could figure out which one works for you. I could not run a bookstore like Greg Murphy, but you see he's got his life invested. It's given him a new lease on life, hasn't it? I mean, you see that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Which is so cool because he's found his lane and you found your lane and yet you're in a similar, you're both book guys. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. We've never looked at it as, as competition. And I think, um, you know, that that's kind of what I've always tried to say is there's enough books for everybody. So <laughs> you don't you don't have to be mean or nasty to another book buyer because there's plenty of books to go around. Hmm. Well, and I've always uh, both of us, we've always valued relationships more than the day's work, for example. So if we go to a library sale for fun, uh I will fun? stop what I'm Dude, doing. Dude, that's fun. Uh, you know, it can be. Certain libraries can. You know, there are contact sports that are uh, less dangerous than uh, library sales. But but I can tell you for certain, uh, I've seen plenty of people who will, you know, cover their shoulder and try not to let you see their machine and, you know, throw elbows and do whatnot. And we're exactly the opposite. Uh, there are plenty of times when I'll stop what I'm doing. I've scanned enough books for a minute and I'll take a break and I'll go over to a struggling seller and say, how's it going? What are you doing? Hmm. Uh, let me share some nuggets of wisdom with you. And, and, and our philosophy has always been, if we come to the table and share 10 things and somebody else shares one thing that we don't know, we're still leaving with 11. Right. That's You're winning. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that's how we met Greg, you know, how many, uh, what percentage of your books that you sell are textbooks? Is that your business, would you say? 90%. Yeah, 90%. Around 90%, yeah. Textbooks or access codes or related material, yeah. Okay, and was that going to be the lane because that was the world you were in? I mean, did that just, did you never really deviated much out of there? I never really had cause to. Okay. And cool. it, it's it's so easy. You know, I it's, it's heavy in the relationship because if I go to a library sale and I don't get the relationship with the librarian, then I'm fighting with everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know. How, um. When you think about the future, how long do you think you can keep this up? I mean, have you ever thought about it? You know, <laughs> I, I think the, the the ball keeps moving, but as long as we move with it, we'll be in good shape. Uh, I don't think books are going to go anywhere in my lifetime. I know that everybody's pushing the e-books and everybody's uh, – I, I, I don't know that it'll always be textbooks, but it'll oh, okay. probably always be books. Okay. And I would, I would love to, you know, take the time and branch into private label and, and do some more things with that. But I, I'm in love with Amazon. I think it's so much fun, you know. Anitra, what's your feeling? The same. I mean, because of the the life that we have, because we sell on Amazon, um, and and because, you know, we've already invested eleven years or ten or eleven years into this. I, I think we'll always stay with selling on Amazon and probably with books. We love books. Our kids love books. I don't think I've ever met a person who doesn't like books. Right. So. 
When you when you tell your family, I mean, now they've seen you do this for eleven years. So Nick, they think you're going to make it finally. I think they think you're going to you know you're going to make it. Depends on the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, what do they what do they say? Because they've got to look at your lifestyle and say, oh my God, how can you you know like are you magic or something? I mean, is this you know people understand it for a second and then they're like, okay, yeah, that's it. But you've been doing it for eleven years consistently. They, they they still don't get it at all <laughs> to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting because, like I said, it's it's a blue collar environment uh, with my family, and I th- I think if you go to my extended family tree, we might have one or two businessmen tops. Uh, we just don't we're just not entrenched in that, and so I've been asked. So what's this book pyramid scheme you're talking about? <laughs> it's like, well, you're what's well, wrong with that education system, you? <laughs> I've been I've been told that, and I'm like, well, that's. Not even close, but okay. <laughs> no, you're buying them and, and helping uh, people buy. Uh, so, okay, so uh, I'm going to put a link there for Bus Proof Business with the foundations. This is a course. It's an entry level course. It's a great. Again, I, I love what you even said. Sell the stuff that's in your house, right? They're they are in your house books, and there's value in them. Get get learn that. And so this is a great course. Um, let's close out with one or two ideas that you think people who are stuck, because that's what I like. When I see somebody who's stuck, it's kind of like when you said you went over and saw somebody struggling and you, you kind of gave them a little tip or whatever, and then all of a sudden you see a little, they stand a little taller when they have that little instant success, and it's like, ooh, that's so cool, and if they can build on it, right? So I always try to do that. And so give us one or two tips that you think people can do to get themselves unstuck and get their business moving. Uh, sure. The uh, You know, I used to have a coffee mug that said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think that might have been a Stephen Covey coffee mug or, or something to that effect. Uh, I, I would remind any stuck seller that uh, sourcing is where it's at. If you have the right books or if you have the right valued books, you can make you can make a lot of other wrong turns and make have a lot of mistakes and still do well in this business. So if you're stuck, stop focusing on things that don't produce and start focusing on Sourcing, I, I guess. Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. Anitra, do you want to add one? Anitra actually had to run. Okay. Grab the kids off the bus. No stress. Um, so don't use her voice, but give us one that she would tell us. From her perspective, because I think she has a different perspective. She's looking at it day to day, probably not getting out of the house as much, not enjoying the conversations as much. What would she say? I think she would probably say, review the fundamentals and if you're following the formula it will work don't be deceived if if you're doing what you should be doing just because it's not there today don't mean it it won't be there soon consistency matter it's back to those relationships the fact that you showed up and actually did what you said you were going to do you're sure. 90 you're ahead of 9 out of 10 people just by doing that absolutely mm powerful okay best way for someone who wants to follow up so i'm going to have this link for the course is there a way that anybody if they want to follow up with a follow-up question they can reach out to you well sure we, we do have bookfrog.com that Bookfrog. we've had for years yeah dot com okay and there's a place to uh reach out there yeah there's there's a contact us uh button or you know my email is nick jump n-i-c-k-j-u-m-p at gmail.com i don't mind giving that out okay Dude, it is awesome. Um, I'm I'm excited because here's a couple that you know are humble. I mean, I, I, I was actually planning on leading in with that. That Nick's a pretty humble guy, 
Um, and I remember that. Um, but you guys have it together um, because you're together, right? Absolutely. Again, I just love it. You have it together. There's a there's a coffee mug. We have it together because we're together. Mm. Pal, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I wish you nothing but success. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Man, what a great interview. Again, just a power couple that you would never know. Um, they're quiet. They keep to themselves. But boy, they're focused on their family. I love um, the talk about their kids and exposing them to see this stuff because you want to teach them there's another way. The way we grew up where go to college, that was the answer. Now there's a lot of people that went to college that can't find jobs. That might not be the answer. Um, how about figuring out what you're meant to do? That might be the real answer because that passion and that that's what takes you through. And I love to see them invest in their kids and investing in others. You know, if you've been thinking about getting into Amazon, I, I'm dead serious. Books are the best way to start because uh, as, as Anitra said, you can make a lot of mistakes and, and they're forgiven because it's just, you know, you're paying so little for that product and the potential that it would yield a big amount is such a great thing. So Bushproof Business, um, foundations. I'll have the link in this episode. Um, I think it's just so important. Hey, remember the sponsors that sponsor the show. I'm so fortunate. I just got approached by another national sponsor. I'm very, very fortunate. I don't take this for granted. Um, I appreciate every one of you listening, and I just appreciate if you would give them a chance because I believe in them. Otherwise, I would not have them on. I mean that sincerely. EcommerceMomentum.com. EcommerceMomentum.com. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce momentum podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.